Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I am not one of many. I am the one and only. That is what I took from Joe Biden's message today. He was talking about taking on Trump one on one, mano a mano. And the president seems to have taken the bait on Twitter, at least today. He gave the former VP who held his first major campaign rally a big Turbo Boost mentioned him in several tweets, despite his advisors warning him not to. Ah, what a theme that has become. Let's have two politicos. They represent the group Biden must win and the one he wants to appeal to from the right. Paul Begala, Anna Navarro, thanks to both of you. So let's start with posture and then we'll go uh, with what he staked out as an original position. So, Paul, the idea of what I just said in the intro, I'm not talking about anybody else in the field. It's just me. How do you feel about that? Righteous or reckless? Very, very smart, Chris. It, it won't last. You know, he'll have to engage his opponents at some point. But I think I am typical of many Democrats. I'm a lifelong Democrat. I, and I have no candidate yet in this field. First time in my life I've not had a candidate uh, that I've preferred in the primaries. I'm going to watch and see how they develop. But this is what I'm looking for. I'm a JFK Democrat. I will pay any price, bear any burden, support any friend, oppose any foe to ensure the defeat of Donald J. Trump. You could be for Medicare for all or not. You could you could shoot my dog. And if I think you can beat Trump, I'm going to be for you. Hmm. Well, that's a very mainstream of you. So, Anna, look, <laughs> we, I, we all know how you feel about this president. However, you represent a strain of compassionate conservative that Joe Biden is hoping will listen to his message. Does he have a chance of that? Oh, Absolutely. Look, I think people like me, disenfranchised Republicans, people who do not want to vote for Trump, in my case, who will not vote for Trump, want to have somebody that they can vote for enthusiastically and without feeling like they are betraying uh, our ideology, our principles and our convictions. Joe Biden, for me, is such a person. Uh, Look, I'm, I'm biased. I've known him for 20 years. I knew him as a senator. I knew him as a vice president. As a candidate the first time, uh, I knew him, you know, as a, as a regular citizen and now as a candidate. And one of the things that I really like about him is that he's never changed. He's been the same guy that I've known for uh, 20 years. But there are some people in, you know, in the, in the Democratic field who are, I think, rather scary to right-leaning independents, centrists, and disenfranchised Republicans, anti-Trump Republicans mm. like me. You start talking about 70% tax rates, that scares us. Mm -hmm. Look, the idea of a Joe Biden who's got the experience, who is calling to our better angels, who is talking about unity. But, you know, I, like Paul, um, you know, there's no way I will vote for Trump. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. Even if he shoots Paul's dog, because he better not shoot mine. Enough with the shooting of the dog. It's the only thing all Americans care about. No no animals animals will be harmed in the making of this this democracy. (laughs) But I I hear it. I hear it. But, but, I, but I, I, I mean, if I, I also, uh, you know, I look at, at, at the field of candidates that the Democrats have, and to me it looks like this, 
Benetton ad, right? I mean, there's there's like one of everything, every age, every gender, you know, sexuality, color, shade, language. It's it's a, it's an amazing kind of celebration of diversity. And I would say to Democrats, let it play out. See who does best. See who can perform best. There's no reason why you have to, you know, this is not an arranged marriage. Enjoy it. Well, look, there's something to be said uh, by that. The only problem they have is they have to win. And Democrats have a problem, with all due respect, Paul, of falling in love with the idea of what a Democrat's supposed to be and that it's got to be everything for everybody and the dream is alive. And then you wind up getting your butt whooped because you didn't think about the X's and the O's and where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are. So that takes me to this. The economy is going to be the president's cudgel against the left. He's going to say, look what I did. Now, I could argue the numbers all night, but it's about the feel of it. Here was Joe Biden on that. The stock market is roaring, but you don't feel it. There was $2 trillion tax cut last, last year. Did you feel it? Did you get anything from it? Of course not. Of course not. All of it went to folks at the top. Now, ordinarily, Paul, feel versus facts plays to this president. He's going with the feelings, even if the numbers don't match up. You look at the growth rate of this economy over the last two get- decades, it's always around 3%. So we're not breaking any records right now, but it feels like it. Can feel work for Biden on this issue? Absolutely. If you're speaking like he does right to the middle class, you know, the ABC News Washington Post poll came out today. 62% of Americans believe the economy works for the privileged and the powerful, not for the middle class. 62%, that's almost two-thirds of the country, when we're supposedly booming. Uh, I give free advice to Joe Biden and all the Democrats. Very important to litigate that tax cut. It's very unpopular. The dip in the president's approval came not only after the Mueller report, but after April 15th, when lots of middle-class families did not get the tax rebate they thought they were going to get. And and if I were the Democrats, I guess I am a Democrat, if I were advising any of them, (laughs) I would stitch together that $2 trillion tax cut with, get this, I've looked at the Trump budget. There's a $2 trillion cut in Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. $1.5 trillion cut in Medicaid, $845 billion cut in Medicare, $25 billion cut in Social Security. Guess what? That matches up pretty well. Mr. Trump and his party want to cut the middle class and give it to uh, corporate America and the very, very wealthy. And I think that's a message that can stitch together the base that my party needs, the swing voters in the suburbs who we're trying to reach, and yes, even the rural voters who we have sadly lost. And I think that kind of thing can be a, a web issue, not a wedge issue. The president yeah, is at I, about I, 90% in your party, Anna. Right. Do you think that you can find a Democrat talking economics that wins over the head of a Republican? Uh, Yes, of that 10 percent. Look, I think that I think that uh, Trump's base is loyal to Trump. They think he does no wrong and they are going to stick with him no matter what. We've already seen that through the last three years. God knows he has done and said enough things where um, most traditional Republicans should have stayed away from supporting him. But that's not happening. And to me, you know, the reason Joe Biden is getting under his skin and is in his head is because Joe Biden can appeal to the same folks that Trump appealed to, people that have fallen through the cracks of this economy. But Joe Biden appeals to them from an uh, optimistic angle. One of the things he said today is hope over fear. He said, uh, you know, truth over lies. 
unity over division, because that is what we are in the United States of America. Those words stuck with me. So you're going to, I think, you're, you know, with Joe, Joe Biden is not delving into the, right now, into the, the, the weeds, the policy weeds of taking on his other Democrats. And one of the things that I, I hope was a lesson learned from 2016 for Democrats and for people who didn't want Trump elected is that there are some things in life that are binary choices. And so I hope that this Democratic primary is such that it doesn't leave, um, you know, bitter feelings where folks don't end up voting for the, the, the eventual nominee, like happened in 2016, mm -hmm. where you saw Bernie bros and you saw when whatever their female equivalent is, uh, you know, say, okay, Hillary didn't fill my love tank. I'm not, I'm going to sit home or I'm going to vote for Jill Stein or for the pothead from New Mexico or for, you know, a write-in Mickey Mouse, whatever. <laughs> Folks, some things in life are binary choices. It's going to be Trump and whomever is running against Trump. So don't make enemies to the point where you can't then kiss and make up. Thank you for that slew of nicknames. I'm sure that it will make Twitter very happy. <laughs> Anna Navarro, Paul Begala, I appreciate it. I did Thank forget you very his much. name. <laughs> That's, nobody will ever remember his name now. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So uh, we know what happened this weekend. Another synagogue attack. Another beautiful life stolen. Does the president still think that white nationalism is not a threat? That it's not a rising problem? Why is he trying to revise his record on Charlottesville all of a sudden? We have questions that must be answered next. All right. Thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo and welcome to primetime. Joe Biden makes his first big rallying cry, promising to restore the soul of the country, calling out a president whom he says is all about stoking hate. Now, the former VP showed his strategy. Let's test it versus what his main competitor in the polls, Senator Bernie Sanders, has to offer. Sanders' campaign co-chair is here tonight. Then, why now? Why is this president trying to change what the world heard him say about both sides being to be blamed for Charlottesville? Why is he playing down the threat of right-wing extremism? Is this a winning strategy? It will certainly be a great debate. And Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein resigns, but he adds to his enigma with his last letter. What's the message? Who is it meant for? What do you say? Let's get after it. Joe Biden says he is here to fight, and today he laid out for whom and for what. The country wasn't built by Wall Street bankers, CEOs, and hedge fund managers. It was built by you. It was built by the great American middle class. First rally as presidential candidate, the former Veep took his message right to blue-collar workers in his home state battleground of Pennsylvania. Now, He's not talking in general. Everything was about him versus this president. That is different from the Democratic field, positioning himself as the one to beat Trump. Team Bernie might have a thing or two to say about that. We have the co-chair of Sanders 2020 campaign, Congressman Ro Khanna. Good to see you, Congressman. Chris, good to be on. So what did you pick up from Joe Biden today? Well, I'm glad that Vice President Biden spoke about unions. I think it's terrific that he stood up for the middle class. But ultimately, I think this country is going to want someone who is going to bring change. Uh, and Bernie Sanders is the candidate who can speak against endless wars, who can speak against uh, the 
uh, argument we made in giving China most favored nation status. Uh, and I think ultimately his message will be more compelling. Now, you, uh, I heard uh, Senator Sanders was on Anderson's show uh, before this one, and he said he likes Joe Biden, but he was against NAFTA. Joe Biden was for it. Uh, he was against DOMA. Biden was for it. The war, again, TPP, again. Question, Bernie Sanders, if he were to get in, what proof do we have that he could make deals instead of just making demands? Because he's often against things that wind up getting bipartisan support. I would look at what we did on Yemen. Uh, we passed for the first time in history a war powers resolution through the Senate and through the House. It had bipartisan support. Seven Republicans in the Senate, including Senator Rand Paul and Senator Lee, uh, many Republicans in the House. And it was an effort to stop our alliance with the Saudis. That was a clear example of Senator Sanders getting stuff done uh, and working with a broad coalition. All those years in the Senate, what else can you point to? I can point to the raise uh, of Amazon workers. Uh, Jeff Bezos credits Senator Sanders. He is directly responsible with legislation we did for 350,000 Americans getting a raise to $15. Uh, and that's uh, him being a minority uh, senator. And then, of course, there have been numerous amendments uh, that he uh, has gotten through. Mm. Uh, so I, I do believe he will be uh, incredibly effective. And then you have to give him credit for having every candidate uh, major Kennedy now speaking, speaking about Medicare for all and even President Obama acknowledging that Medicare for all uh, should be part of the discussion. Now, is it the right discussion to have? Is it the winning discussion or is Nancy Pelosi's posture more of where the Democratic Party is going to wind up, which is let's save the ACA. They want to go the litigation route. They want to fight it. He's this president is having the AG fight it. Now we can save the ACA, leave Medicare for all as an ambition for another day. Win now. I agree we should save the ACA. But, Chris, when you elect a president, people don't want just uh, to save what a past president did. You can't just say, OK, I'm going to uh, save what Lyndon Johnson did or what Obama did. They want what are you going to do to take our country forward? And here's why Medicare for all matters. It's going to save people costs. They get it. Uh, we shouldn't be giving all of these profits to Aetna CEO making $59 million a year uh, and having the middle class pay for it. It will lower cost. It will help small business it might. Uh, so that they don't have to bear that cost. It might. The transition costs could be crippling. You know this. Uh, and there's no reason to bury people in the details just yet, Ro. But I'll tell you, I invite the senator on on a regular basis. I was on the stage with him the other night at the town hall. I tell him on a regular basis, come on. Make your pitch about health care. I'll give you more time than anybody because the devil's in the details. The transition costs could be crippling. How do you get around them? Well, I would say a few things. First, uh, it makes economic sense in a time of a digital age where people have to change jobs. Right now, the biggest reason you can't be an entrepreneur or change jobs is because your health care is tied to your employer. And if you talk to companies in Silicon Valley, many of whom, by the way, support Medicare for all, they will tell you the reason they're outsourcing jobs is not because of the wage differential. It's because of health care costs. We're paying far more than other countries. Taiwan has a single payer system and Heritage Foundation ranks them as a free market economy, more free than the United States. But they understand that they don't want profits going to insurance and pharmaceuticals. Uh, the average American, I think, will save money. Now, I agree with you. It's a huge transition. The insurance industry is one point seven trillion. It employs 500,000 people. Uh, Bernie Sanders' plan allows still for supplemental private insurance. If you mm -hmm. read the details of the 
plan, and we have to figure out how we make this transition. But I think well, that, you say- raise a good point, though, and I respect you for bringing it up yourself, which is it has become one of the top two or three, if not the, depending on which metric you want to look at, main employers in the country. So when you say, hey, this is going to mean that government will absorb more of this, there'll be less private sector, you could wind up costing people jobs. Well, the transition is very important, and people can work in uh, numerous other ways. They can help administer uh, Medicare. They can help work in uh, other health care jobs that are going to be created with telemedicine. Uh, I think the transition is very important, and anyone honest has to look at that. But the basic point is, uh, and you know who agreed with the single-payer system? Donald Trump. In the America uh, we deserve in 2000, he mm-hmm. wrote that the Canadian system is better because it gives more benefits and it has less cost. And the average American, here's what it's going to mean. Instead of paying $5,000 to a private insurance company on average, now you're going to pay a much smaller fee. And who's going to lose out? The insurance companies and the pharmaceutical companies. And you're going to get to keep your doctor and have better care. I believe many entrepreneurs, Warren Buffett has talked about Medicare for all. It's the single biggest cause for wage stagnation. Vice President Biden is absolutely right. Middle class wages have stagnated. If you talk to economists, the reason for wage stagnation is the rising health care premiums. Employers have been giving that money to health care costs as opposed to raising wages. And this is why we have to make the economic argument for Medicare for all. Well, it will be interesting. Obviously, you're going to have to find ways to make this all digestible for the American people, deal with the opposition in party, and see if you get the ticket to take it to the president. And we'll watch it all along the way. And, Congressman, you are invited here to make the case when you can. Well, Chris, I really appreciate the opportunity. And I'll tell Senator Sanders he should come on, too. Oh, he knows. (laughs) <laughs> and he's always welcome. Be well. So thank you, Bernie or Biden or another. Now, this is different. What we saw from the VP today, he came out. I'm going to Trump. I'm going to Trump. That's what I'm doing. We haven't seen that. That's not what Bernie Sanders does. He talks to you about ideas. Beto O'Rourke, you just saw he's talking policy. So what do you make of that posture? We have two political experts. One is who Biden must win over. The other is the kind of person he wants to peel off from the right. How do they feel? The state of play. And there's no need to debate if the president gave you the perfect answer during Charlottesville or if his meaning was mistaken. I'm going to show you the truth of the context and the content, and you decide. Next. Now, for the reality of what happened during Charlottesville, forget left and right just for a second. Let's just be reasonable, all right? This is how the president describes the controversial answer he gave during the Charlottesville situation. And if you look at what I said, you will see that that question was answered perfectly. Now, we can't argue that it was answered perfectly because it was so controversial. So it couldn't have been perfect. What did he say? Here is the exact context of how it came up. They showed up in Charlottesville to protest. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Now, that's how it came up. All right. It was about the violence that happened in Charlottesville. That's the truth. There is no other version of this conversation that is more accurate. However, now that a re-election is coming or maybe that white nationalist attacks are more out in the open, more obvious. The president and his people are saying the answer was twisted. They say he was talking about something else. Listen. 
People were there protesting the taking down of the monument of Robert E. Lee. Everybody knows that. He's talking, he was talking about the debate over removing statues. Here's the problem. The president was not asked about the debate on monuments. Please listen again. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Now, again, if you're talking about the violence that took place in Charlottesville, there was no protest going on that was nice and not nice. It was 100% an outgrowth of a march organized by white supremacists like Richard Spencer, featured speakers like David Duke. It was not part of any peaceful anything. Fact. This is what was happening. Jews will not replace us! Jews will not replace us! Jews will not replace us! Enough. Enough with that. Trump's own DOJ is charging four men in connection with the Unite the Right rally. They call them serial rioters, saying their group organizes, trains, and deploys to various political rallies to engage in acts of violence. Not about monuments, not about good people, not about both sides, okay? And Robert E. Lee, it was a Nazi rally, period. Here's why it matters. As Jews are attacked in San Diego and Pittsburgh, Muslims targeted in New Zealand, black churches burned in Louisiana, this POTUS says white supremacy is not that big a deal. I think it's a uh, small group of people that have very, very serious problems, I guess. Compare that to what his own FBI director says. The danger, I think, uh, of white supremacists, uh, it's a persistent, uh, pervasive threat. Now, the only time he really talked about both sides was when he was equating the Nazis with those who were there to fight them, what he called the alt-left. That's when he was saying that. And that's the only time it's applicable because those were the two fights that we were having, right? That, that was the fight day. However, what do we see? This president goes after extreme Islamist terrorists all the time, never qualifies like he just did about the white supremacists. He even says, Islam hates us. He never says anything that big, that aggressive towards that. But the fact is, the vast majority of lives taken by domestic terrorists last year, white supremacists, far-right extremists. 2018 was the fourth deadliest year on record for homegrown extremists. Those are the facts. This deserves the volume, but it doesn't get it. Here are the questions we have to have answered. Why would a president with no fear of exaggeration falsely minimize this problem? Why does he call himself a nationalist? It's a term stained with prejudice. Why does he target Latino immigrants, exaggerating the same crime and violence stats as certain neo-Nazi groups? Why was he silent about Congressman Steve King when the rest of his party finally spoke out against his hate? I don't know that this president has a good answer for you on any of this, but you definitely deserve one, and we will ask those questions every chance we get. In fact, we have two big defenders of the president ahead. They say he's been mistaken. They say he is right on this issue. We will test those answers next. 
The president says he gave you the perfect answer about Charlottesville. The idea that he was talking about both sides being to blame for the violence and good people on both sides it was all misunderstood, taken out of context by people like me. Now, I think this issue is going to be a big part of the culture battle in this election. And it's important to note, this president didn't make this appeal really back when he said it. Was he just Biden his time or is this about Joe Biden hammering him with an ugly reality? Let's discuss CNN political commentators Steve Cortez and Rob Astorino uh, two on one. I think they may need it on this one. Both supporters <laughs> of the president. One request. I know you both well. If we get too loud, too hostile in having this discussion, we will sound like what we are all supposed to hate. So let's keep it in check. Make the points. I'll give you both ample opportunity. I uh, definitely. So, Steve, I start with you. I read your piece. We've talked about this before. Uh, why do you believe that the president said the right thing during Charlottesville? Well, I'll tell you, the main reason is because I can read and I have read the transcript. So rather than believing in a fairy tale narrative, if we deal in the actual evidence, and in this case, that is a transcript of what was said, uh, it's impossible to determine anything except for his intention, which was to totally condemn racism. And, and I have to say, Chris, the way you edited that segment that you showed just before this was appallingly misleading because you cut the quote off at a critical juncture. If you continue the quote you were showing, and I want to quote directly here because I want to be extremely precise. He said, you had people in that group who were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue mm -hmm. and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. He then continued in the next answer. Mm -hmm. I am not talking about the neo-Nazis and white nationalists mm -hmm. because they should be condemned totally. Mm -hmm. End quote. So he was unequivocal that he was not talking about racists or neo-Nazis. Mm -hmm. But the way you deceptively edited what there's you nothing, just showed there's, there's nothing made it look about as it. though he was. All right. So, Rob, you actually said early on what the president said wasn't helpful. I want you to, people to know you're on the record as saying that, unlike Steve. Now, anybody can go and look at this. I just laid it out. There is no battle here over context. Were people down there arguing about Confederate statutes in, statues in part? Yes. Were there good people, not good people? I don't know. It depends why they want the statues to stay up, um, right? Because there's a lot of bigotry involved in some of those monuments. It's not just about Robert E. Lee being a general. Put it to the side. The day of the violence, counselor, was there any protest of good people talking about the monuments? The answer must be no. It was an organized march by neo-Nazis. Nobody was marching alongside those people who were good people. It was single purpose. Isn't that the truth? So I agree with Steve and disagree with Steve on this one. I do think that in the larger context of everything he said, people would come to different conclusions. However, he was very inartful to be honest and to be, you know, forgiving to him. And that wasn't the context where he should have had something as pinpointed as, as what he said about the, both sides. That was the wrong time to do that. I think we could have had a debate about that on a broader scale. I'm here in Atlanta right now, and I walk through the Capitol, state Capitol today, and they have the history of the state, and they have exhibits. And in those exhibits, they have photos of past governors and, and everyone. And the Confederate flag is still in the pictures mm -hmm. because it is very much part of Georgia's history and the South's history. So, yes, there are emotional bonds for different people, and it creates emotions on mm -hmm. all different spectrums. 
But the thing that bothers me the most of, of how this is being played out, Chris, is that the left, and, and quite frankly, a lot of the media, is trying to conflate these absolutely abhorrent people, these white nationalists, who are a fringe group, they're completely on their own island, and, and the media is trying to conflate them with the right, with conservatives, with Republicans. I, Steve, and everybody reputes them. They have nothing to do with our party, and they should be outcasts. You haven't heard me say any of that, right? No, but I've heard many other people right, say I, that. Look, who, whose show is this? It's yours. All right, so let's just deal with that right now. Chris, Steve, to your point, though. Here's, here's the thing. Let me, let me bounce back at you on this. He said two things, okay? And I do want people to remember, he wasn't on this correction campaign back then. He had plenty of opportunities to do it. He didn't. He said two things. One, there's blame on both sides for the violence. Now, Steve, you can talk all left all day long, and that's fine with me. I have no problem with it. People who are rogue actors and criminals deserve the harsh treatment of the law. But whether you want to talk about Antifa or Black Lives Matter or any of the groups that assembled that day to fight against neo-Nazis, you make a moral equivalent between those two actions, you're making a mistake in America. The president did it that day. And you know it was a mistake. Uh, I don't know why you don't own that. No. Chris, you and I have talked about this before. I do not make any differentiation between neo-Nazis and Antifa. Just because they claim in their name that they are anti-fascist, their tactics are, in fact, totally fascist. One of the groups was created to kill people they don't like. The other group, and and Black Lives Matter, has hangers-on and aberrant actors within their ranks. But the groups were not created to destroy parts of humanity. It's Come not aberrant within Antifa. They, they put on masks and helmets and they show up with clubs to damage property there and to hurt people. They elements are, they are in the group. They are America's brown shirts. And there is no difference between Antifa and those neo-Nazis. Both sides are thugs. Both sides are reprehensible. Look, here's the point about both sides is a lot of really nasty people showed up there intending to do harm. And that's terrible. There were also very good people on both sides. And by the way, you say there was no one good protesting on uh, to maintain statues who would disagree with you rally who would disagree with you is the new york times the new york times who quoted in august they, they interviewed michelle percy who showed up with a group of people who according to the new york times had no interest in racism, but they did have interest in free speech right. and in preserving did confederate monuments. Did she march monuments. alongside so the neo-nazis? Those people, Did they were march in, the, same, they were in the Charlottesville neo- Not that together. day for that I, march, look, Steve. Chris, and that is the confusion yes, yes, of it. Yes, she was there. And no, no, she did not march and, and look, next here's the thing, to neo-Nazis, Steve. And you know Here's it. what's not confusing is that the president said, I am not talking, this, quote, I am not talking about white nationals and neo-Nazis because they should be condemned Totally. I mean, which part of that can we not grasp and understand? Well, so one, at con- worst, contextually, let's just say- he wasn't being asked about the protests when he said the good people on both sides part. So even if you want to chalk it up to, all right, he was talking about a different aspect of it at that time, but he didn't mean what you think he meant. Fine. He gave a moral no, equivalence we know he's- to people on both sides of the violence. And I've never heard that from a well, president again, before, you, that Chris, the people you, fighting against the you, Nazis are as bad as the Nazis. Steve, you tell no, me. No, no, you can see We've had this said. debate many times. You're trying to tell me that Antifa, okay, that Antifa, simply because they're leftist, violent leftist, that they are somehow morally superior to Is violent the far rightists. And I'm Ant- saying Rob both of those fringe elements are equally this. reprehensible. Rob Astorino. 
Well, you I mean, cannot say that Antifa were designed to kill the people that they don't like. It doesn't matter what they were designed for. It's what they're becoming. And they are becoming not just radical. They are becoming violent and they are going to kill people. And that has to be condemned just as harshly as any other hate group out there. So what that you tries think to a prevent group people is becoming and maybe someday. No, no. What you they are now is equal to no, what they are. Chris, no, no, what no. They, are. they have taken over Portland. You know, when they had that incident, the police won't even respond because they've become so violent. Look, these are areas e of concern that everyone has to be concerned Nobody's disagreeing with the criminal activity. As soon as a protest becomes a riot, you're criminals, and you should be treated that way. That's the law. That's simple. Yeah. And these All thugs, I'm going to say is these this. thugs have pipes, they you have You will look at Black Lives Matter. People. I've been with those people in the streets. You can talk about Antifa. I've watched them in the streets protesting in different situations, okay? There are certainly aspects of them that are true to a cause. That is a good cause. They want social justice. They want whatever they want in that context. You tell Not me Antifa. when that has Antifa ever happened. You tell me when that has ever happened with neo-Nazis. Where they have ever been doing Chris, Antifa the right thing. Antifa is not thing. a good cause. Antifa does not have good aims. Antifa wants power, wants political power taken uh, through force. That's what Antifa Steve, is all about. I mean, they are be, the just inheritors be clear about of what Nazis I'm and brown I am shirts. not here to espouse Antifa or any group on the political well, sure spectrum. sounds like it. No, because you want it to be like that because you want it to be simple. No. And you want to be able to run away after something like this and say, Cuomo loves the alt-left. He <laughs> loves them. And you know it's not true. You know it's BS. What I'm saying is this. You don't draw a moral equivalence between neo-Nazis and the people there to fight against them. You don't do it in that context because it's not what we are about in this country. Okay. And Rob, what, when you pair it with president a president who refuses to call out Steve King, a president who says that the problems with domestic terrorism, with right-wing extremists, is not a big deal, but he talks about Islam hating all of us, when they are nowhere near responsible for what we're dealing with here in terms of death and attacks as the right-wing extremists, when you put it all together, it makes you wonder, Rob, why is he so soft on one and so loud on the other? Help me soft. understand. He said condemn totally. He does not he talk about the people totally. who attack these synagogues and who attack Muslims the way he does talk about Muslims who do the attacking, and you know it. And if really, you want, you know who I'll send you, you volumes of you? his statements. Yeah, who? Okay, you know who would disagree with you who? about that is Rabbi Goldstein today. Yeah, I heard uh, that him. heroic man. Who, I heard him, spoke, and I respect his pain, and I respect his and, message. And, and the consolation that the president brought him with his words of compassion. And that is, not, that is not the story, by the way, of a man who hates Jews and who praises Nazis. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. I didn't say uh, he praises Nazis, and I didn't say he hates Jews. If you can only resort to the absurd, Steve, you're not worth the position. Don't resort oh. to the absurd. I'm saying he's quiet oh. when it comes to how he condemns the right extreme. And he's not quiet. And I he's just loud read you the quote, Muslims. Chris. He said condemned, it. No, he, condemned But he totally. also said that they were both condemned sides to blame. Totally. He said there were good people on both sides. He never talks like that about Muslims, Rob. And you know it. He says all of Islam hates us. Have you ever heard him go after any of these people who've done these attacks in the synagogues, these right-wing extremists, the way he does go after Muslims? You know the, the answer is no. The question is why not? Look, Chris, I, you know, here, here's the argument that I'm hearing right now, and I, and I see it all the time in, in the media, and the Democrats love to push this, that neo-Nazis and white supremacists equals Republicans. No, I'm not saying any of I'm that. Not, I'm asking you I'm why you, he's so quiet on listen, it and so I'm loud on you, the other. 
I'm telling you what the narrative is. But and I'm is being asking pushed. you a question. Don't blame me for a narrative. I'm, I'm not. not I'm not saying you. I'm saying this is the know, narrative that answer we, my question. we Republicans Why face is he all the soft time? and quiet about this and loud and proud about the other? I don't think he is soft about this. Not at all. No, he just said white right wing extremism. I don't now, think it's a big deal. It is Chris, a big let's deal, deal clearly. Let's deal in quotes. He, he just said it wasn't. Let's deal it. Rob, you're agreeing with me. Let's deal in quotes instead of just narratives. All right, why don't we deal with the he evidence? He just said it's not a really big deal. I think does. it's a small group the, with big problems. No, I think it they is a small group. They killed 70 people this year. 70 Chris, people. I, the president, the group two that days, did 9-11 was a small group, too. Chris, two, the impression that two the Two days left, after. Go yes, ahead. Steve, Each of you make a final that, point that, that I got Charlottesville. Two days after that Charlottesville presser, the president also gave a White House speech so that he could be even more clear about this issue. And he said, quote, racism is evil. Those who cause violence in his name are criminals and thugs, mm. including KKK, neo-Nazis and white supremacists and other groups that are repugnant to everything that we hold dear as Americans. Right. You know why End I said quote. that? So don't tell me it up in that Charlottesville. That's why somebody no, said it was to, you need it was to, to amplify this. It was to amplify what he had already said. I'm, I'm providing that quote to push back against I'll say, your I'll impression. I'll say it again. If a Muslim, really, if a Muslim had bombed one of these synagogues or tried to kill these people, God forbid, you'd see a different president, Rob. And I don't understand why. That's my question. I'm not blaming your party. I'm not going after even the man. I just want to know why he's different. That's no, this, let me end with what I started talking to you before. I'm not saying it's you specifically, Chris, but what, here's the narrative that's being driven by the left. And, and a lot I don't of want people to add, you in can't, the media. Don't use that answer again, Rob. I no, just want I am, you to answer this question. Important. You've never answered it. Why didn't country, he call out Steve King? Why? I did, and I think many Not people you. did, and our Why party didn't did. He? Our party, but wh- he didn't. Why? But let me get back to what I was saying. Let me get back to what I'm saying. All right, no, 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 no. then I got to go. Go ahead. Okay. So you have the New York Times. There were again, 20. Again, with 20, the general. I'm asking you a specific question. Because we're a country of 320 million people. And these lunatics, these crazy, hateful people yeah. are an infinitesimally small amount of us. A lot of their groups endorse the president, by me. the way, and parrot uh, his rhetoric about immigrants. All right, Chris. All right. See, but I'm saying that, those are the facts. No, and that's, that's why he should wrong. be so loud. And what about Ryan Representative Omar? Chris, what about Chris, Representative Omar? Does she, does she the represent Steve all Scalise? the Democrats? She says things that are hateful and wrong and her party should go after and, her hard. And, and that should be part of what America's about. There you a representative go. Representative Omar, Chris she wasn't was even Steve condemned Scalise by her party. Shooter, she should motivated be. by the president. They should, they should go after people who say things that tear at America's fabric. It should be the role of both parties. But I don't want to hear about narratives. Let's just deal with what I say. That's why I brought you guys on, and I appreciate you being here. Rob Rastorino, Steve Thanks, Cortez. Chris. Hey, look, I gave it more time than we were going to because it matters. This is going to be a big part of the campaign, and I still don't get the answer. Why is he so loud about it when it's a Muslim? Why is it so much of a quieter concern when it's a right-wing extremist. I don't get it. It's not an indictment. It's a question. Rod Rosenstein's tumultuous run at the Justice Department is ending. That's an answer. We saw it coming. But I don't get the letter. I'm going to bring in D. Lemon because I don't understand what was in this letter. What was it for? Who was it for? I'll read it to you next. I think there's blame on both sides. You look at, you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides. This isn't about the people who like Confederate statues. Are people standing up to white supremacists ever their equal in moral blame? Groups on the left can be lawless and dangerous. But against Nazis? Right after one of them killed one of the people there to oppose them? Is that the right message? The context that matters is this. We've had more of these right-wing attacks since this POTUS came in. There's been a spike for the last five years, but there have been more of a spike in the last year. 
And yet this president, he says it's not a big concern. Small group. You see today white nationalism as a rising threat around the world. I don't really. I think it's a uh, small group of people that have very, very serious problems, I guess. The numbers say it's up. And by the way, the group that pulled off 9-11 was small, too. Didn't stop this president from indicting all of Islam as hating us. But he doesn't go after these attacks, not the actual threat to U.S. from domestic terrorism, the way he goes after Muslims. Why? Why so quiet about Congressman Steve King? Sure, the party condemned him. Not him. Never a word about his hateful comments. Can't talk enough about illegal entrants who commit crimes. But he's not doing the same thing about entrenched criminal activity in communities all over the country. Why? Exaggerating the threat and the number and the problem. Saying the biggest domestic threat is not a big deal. You really want to compare threat profiles of illegal entrants versus right-wing extremists? So why so loud on one and quiet on the other? Since when does this president undersell? The third leg of what I see as a Trump trifecta is the most disgusting. This president knows damn well that what he's about to say to you is a damnable lie. Maybe his worst of all 10,000. The baby is born. The mother meets with the doctor. They take care of the baby. They wrap the baby beautifully. And then the doctor and the mother determine whether or not they will execute the baby. I don't think so. Just when you think you can't be shocked. That's called homicide. It would be a murder. No law anywhere allows a newborn baby to be swaddled and killed. Shame on him for even suggesting that. Now, think about what's going on here with these three issues. Why would you torture a defense on what you said about Charlottesville now? They could have made the clarification back then, but you heard those two guys. They couldn't explain that. Did we mistake his meeting then? Didn't it bother him then? Abortion hasn't changed either. The law is Roe v. Wade. The states are trying to codify it because they're afraid the Supreme Court might change it, period. Go check. So what has changed about abortion for this president since he said he was very pro-choice? I'll tell you what, this, what has changed. He decided to run for president. And this is all a sell, the Trump trifecta, culture wars that push hate and division. Abortion, immigration, right-wing extremism. I'm not calling him a bigot. Don't cheapen the argument. This is about more than that. It's about the truth and seeing which way we are headed. This is not a coincidence that the president is saying these kinds of things on these kinds of issues. They are not separate. They are the same. Thank you for watching us tonight. Now time for CNN Tonight with D. Lemon. Looking good. Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein officially submitted his resignation today, effective May 11. So he's out. The move was long anticipated, but not the letter that he hand-delivered to the president. I want to read you a little bit of it. We enforce the law without fear or favor because credible evidence is not partisan and truth is not determined by opinion polls. We ignore fleeting distractions and focus our attention on the things that matter because a republic that endures is not governed by the news cycle. So he gave it to the president. But who's the message directed at and what is its intention? You know, Rosenstein had been an enigma before, and this is another layer of the mystery that surrounds him. Let's bring in D. Lemon. What's your take? 
Uh, to give a big wet kiss to the president, if you read the, <laughs> the whole letter, letter, putting in superfluous things that he didn't have to say, you making the country say, fine, that's all fine and, and dandy. But we know that he has been um, partisan, especially when it comes to the Mueller letter, and concerned about his own firing during the, the entire process. He has been on the good side of the president, reportedly, and on the bad side of the president. But frankly, I mean, it comes as no surprise. We all knew he was going to step down after this. He just yeah. wanted to see the Mueller investigation. But it's so weird. He's the guy who picked Mueller. He created right. this whole situation. Yeah. And it seems like, to me, you know, just my opinion, it seems like he's talking to us. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's more about yeah. the media. And really nothing about the president, even though he's the guy who thought we needed a special counsel. I wanted, I've been wanting to ask you this because there have been reports about him, right? Do you think he's a sort of a double agent type? No, I really don't know what to make of him. I mean, I say enigma. I mean, it. <laughs> I really don't get it. They brought him in there to be an axe man on Comey. Then he picks yeah. Mueller, which is the vindication of Comey that you needed an outside source to process this because the president's actions were so shady. And then he winds up yeah. taking the decision from Mueller. And winds up in this letter kind of talking about the news isn't what matters. It's, you know, our job. I think you're right, because we often use that. We report the news without fear or favor. Right. And now he's saying that about the law without fear. Maybe he's talking to the media. Polls, news cycle. I can't Um, wait to see him interviewed. (laughs) Uh, I saw him this weekend. At uh, the White House Correspondent Center, one of the events for the White House Correspondent Center. He's a lot taller than I thought. And a lot of people were wanting to well, that's talk That's because to him. he's I been just... crunched down, hiding all this time, <laughs> waiting for this I just, I, I just observed from a distance him and Kellyanne Conway, and I saw Rudy Giuliani. He told me to tell you hello, by the way. Nice. Um, and he says, you know, he says you always cut him off. You don't let him say his piece. I'm like, really? <laughs> Chris? No, it's not. I don't believe that's true. But listen, hey, listen, you know, I'm so glad you did the, um, the fact check on the very fine people on both sides. Jamel Hill, you know her, former sure. VSP and very outspoken, now a cultural critic. We're going to have her on to talk about what mm. people are talking about, the so-called water cooler and at the kitchen table. Also, George Slim from the ADL to give us some stats. And then Michael Higginbotham, the, histor- the history professor who can tell us all about what this all means and put it into context for us. Beautiful. All sides represented. Good to have you. Yep. See you. All right. Fear and loathing. That seems like the president's strategy this past set of elections, didn't it? It didn't work. But it does seem to be the way forward for his election as well. He's got the economy, but there's a culture war. And it seems that he has a three-pronged attack. And tonight, I make the argument of what it is. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.